David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. A lot going down in the world of sports today, Elliot. Every day. I heard Twitter went down. Was it all the Sandusky tweeting? I don't know. I thought it was me. You know, I, I tried to send out a tweet about the, the show that we're going to have today and got, got that one out, I think, and then tried to do another one and boom. Uh, I don't know what's causing it. It can't be the uh, Clemens perjury trial because it's been over for a couple that days. That And. He was not guilty, which is not to be confused with innocent, right? From no. <laughs> speaking as the legal expert in this studio, you can... Uh, they failed to prove their case. Right. The feds. Can you imagine that? It happens. But you this know, Sandusky it, thing's getting really interesting here. It'll be curious to see I, why there wasn't a change of venue. I don't know. I'm not uh, a legal expert, but you're going, gee, you, you got the world of Joe Paterno and... All Penn State football and institutions that are holier than the religious organizations involved, and you're going to try it this case in the in the heart of that arena. It's Happy Valley. They're all happy there. Yeah, I don't know how happy some of those people are. You got you got some unhappy folks too. But today we're going to make people happy, hopefully, with one Hall of Famer and one who should be a Hall of Famer. Exactly. Maury Wills. I was looking so forward to this interview, and we talked to him last week. He was absolutely incredible. The I, guy, think, I think he's ready to steal another base or two. He could teach a lot of guys now how to run the bases. Definitely. But let's get right to our first guest, Maury Wells. On the phone we have seven-time All-Star, former Los Angeles Dodger, Pittsburgh Pirate, and Montreal Expo. He was a three-time World Series champ, a two-time Gold Glove winner. He was the MVP in 1962 of not only the National League, but also the All-Star game. We have on Maury Wills. How you doing, Mr. Wills? I'm doing fine, David. Um, I, I, I enjoyed your, your intro there. And, you know, it really, after all these years, it really kind of, I squirmed a little bit when I heard you say Pittsburgh Pirate and Montreal Expo. Because I've been a Dodger since I was about, uh, eight years old. And, uh, I got traded away. And it really hurt. And every time I think about it, I, I cringe a little. But that's okay. Let's go on. Well, I think when most people think of you, they do think of you as a, a Dodger. As a, as a Dodger, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a long story behind how I got traded over to Pittsburgh and then caught into the, what's that, 1968 or 69, 1969 expansion. And went to uh, Montreal and then I got, finally got back to the Dodgers. That was the greatest moment of my career, going back to Los Angeles. How, how did you originally sign with the Dodgers? Um, I grew up in Washington, D.C., David, uh, on the playgrounds, and loved baseball. When I was 15, I was playing with uh, uh, semi-pro ball, they called it, grown men, older, hardcore guys uh, on the playgrounds in Washington, D.C., sandlots. And... Um, 
there was an ad in the local Washington, D.C. newspaper, the Washington Daily News, that there was a tryout camp at Griffith Stadium where the old Washington Senators, who are now the Minnesota Twins, played. And all the major league teams were going to be there, and the kids between the ages of 17 and 19 come and bring your gloves and your spikes and try out. And these older guys uh, gathered me up and um, took me up there. And I got signed. Isn't that, isn't that something? And then in 1960, at 295, you led the league with 50 stolen bases. And I didn't realize that no one was stealing bases up until that time. Because previous to that, that was like 1951 when Max Carey stole 51. What caused all of a sudden the increase in stolen bases in the 60s? Well, you see, see uh, as I mentioned, I was playing with those older guys on the uh, Calder Shelf Semi-Pro on the Sandlot. And we played a version of Negro League Baseball, which was uh, running the bases. Running the bases and stealing the bases. It wasn't a home run hitting, it only... The person I can think of in those old Negro Leagues that hit the ball hard was Josh Gibson, a catcher. Other than that, it was line drives, ground ball, base hits, base running, base stealing, good pitching. And and I learned the game that way through these older men. And so when I got signed as a young 17-year-old right out of high school and went into uh, organized baseball with the Dodgers, I took that brand of baseball with me. So throughout my minor league career, I stole bases. Now, I didn't get to do it on a national scene would be noticed until I got to the big leagues. And when I got to Los Angeles, uh, my first year, 1959, when I came up on June 6th, I, 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 I wasn't too strong a hitter, and I was hitting as, as eighth just in front of the pitcher. Well, that position is not conducive to base stealing. I get on base, I just have to stand there. Well, the next season, 1960, they put me in the leadoff spot, and I got to do my thing. That's how it happened. Changed the game. Was there anybody that helped you with that base-stealing knowledge, or is it just something inside of you? Well, I, I developed the, 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 uh, the uh, ability, I, I, the, the, the desire on, on, on playing on the playgrounds and playing with these older men. But when I got to the Dodgers in spring training, there's a man named Al Campanis. Al Campanis um, uh, taught me everything I knew. Uh, I learned about baseball, running the bases, stealing bases. Um, and he was not a base dealer. He was a big man. Uh, um, uh, and, and by fielding and, and then, then the uh, just a, a, the good uh, – solid um, thinking um, that, that goes into being a, a good player. And can, you remember the name Al Campanis? I remember the name well. He had a little controversy later in life. Yeah, I felt bad about that because I want to go on record as saying none of that was, was, was accurate. Al Campanis was a fine man. He did not have one mean bone or in his body or any... any uh, he didn't have any, any qualms about race, color, Creed or whatever, and yet uh, he was depicted that way, and, and that killed him. He died prematurely. Back in 62, when you were the MVP, your teammate Tommy Davis had pretty good stats that year. I'm surprised that he didn't get the MVP, or was it basically because you were the leadoff man and you basically started everything? Yeah, he's surprised too. Even today when I see Tommy, he brings that up. 
Not only Tommy, Willie Mays hit 58 home runs that year. Every time I see Willie Mays, he reminds me that he should have had the MVP award that year. And I tell them both, yeah, hey, guys, you got to get over it. It's been too long now. <laughs> well, they have some pretty good accomplishments and some pretty nice trophies of their own, so I don't think they should be too jealous. I, I would think so. They, why would they want to take my little MVP trophy from me? Tommy told us a couple of weeks ago when we interviewed him that you had a race with uh, Willie Davis to see who was faster. Yeah. And what did he say? I don't remember who he said won the race. I think well, he said Willie Tommy Davis. Tommy got a version uh, uh, different than mine. And Tommy was also in the race. And, and he wants to claim that he tied me or he beat me. And Tommy was a big fellow too, but he could run. Yeah. Um, no, I beat them both. Now, I'm sure if, if we were able to speak with Willie, Willie's passed on now to the other side, but and then I think Willie might say that he won the race. You could have put a blanket over all of us. That's how close it was. But um, um, so my, my claim is that I won the race. Uh, Willie was the fastest of all of us. You see, it's like the saying, the fastest does not always, the, swift, or the race does not always, the winner does not always go to the swiftest or the fastest or the swift or whatever, how that goes. Willie is faster than Tommy, Willie is faster than me. Um, but I beat them on the start or two. Which time did you studying pitchers? Oh, I, all my life. I knew pitchers so well, I knew how they liked their coffee. Um... <laughs> You, you see, uh, and a pitcher is a, is a different breed of guy, uh, athlete or baseball player. He's totally different than position players. When I say position players, I mean, that's a new term they've come up with, modern-day term, position players, as if a pitching is not position. But that means a catcher or an infielder or an outfielder. Um, and uh, every time uh, there was a pitcher's meeting with the Dodgers, Dodger staff, I would go and sit in with it. And I'd go sit in with the catchers when the catchers had meetings, too. I wanted to know how they, 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 they think. And, and, and also, when I would go to the mound during the ball game to calm a pitcher down or let him know that I wanted to put a, squeeze, a sacrifice, I mean, uh, put a, a pickoff play on, or maybe just don't worry about the runner, I'll take care of him, you get the batter. I wouldn't run in there. And his pitchers, I'd see the eyes bulging, and they were sweating, and they were nervous, teeth chattering. I said, gee, these guys are afraid, scared. I said, if that's the case with my own staff, it must be with the other staff. And I learned that pitchers to my own um, pitching staff and, 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 of course, from the opposing pitching staff, a lot of pitchers don't like to throw to a base on the 10 pickoff. Uh, they're afraid they might make a, a, a bad throw and the ball goes out into the outfield. Um, and I learned about that, so I found out who those pitchers were. And it's just a little study, that's all. It's not about all speed. you got to have some, some kind of um, uh, technique. Uh, and our campaign is totally technique, but I, I developed the ability to study the pitcher. Every pitcher before a ball game warms up about 20 and some 25 minutes. I don't think it, uh, many go as, as few as 15 minutes, but at least 20, maybe 25 and the pitcher will always go into a stretch position for the last five minutes of his warm-up period before a ball game. 
So be, instead of being in the clubhouse having that last piece of chicken or watching TV or having a pillow fight with my teammates, uh, and that's, I'm joking when I say that, but they would be in there just ha- relaxing. I would be out in the dugout looking at that picture warm up. And because he was always going in the stretch position in the last five minutes, and that's when I got my first look at his his delivery and his move to see get a reading on him. So when I got on base in the first inning, I, I didn't have to ask somebody or the first base coach or somebody before I went to home up to hit. Do anybody know this guy? Well, you he got a good move? No, I already know. And I know them so well, as I said, I like them. I know how they like their coffee. I knew who was afraid to throw to a base, who didn't like to throw to a base, who did like to throw to a base, and who would throw over there. And then I I found that keys on a movement of the shoulder, the head, the knee, foot. It was was simple. Now, which picture gave you the most trouble with this move? Well, writers always ask me when I was playing, who who are the toughest pitchers and who are the easiest? I would never say that. I wouldn't tell them who the toughest pitcher was because I didn't want that pitcher to read it and, 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 and find out that I had that kind of regard for him. And I did, certainly wasn't going to say who the easiest was because now I'm going to make somebody mad and he's going to go out and practice and, and work on developing his ability to keep me closer to the base and so he's going to make it, I'm creating another adversary. But I guess after all these years, I can say to you, David, that the easiest, did you say the easiest or you asked me the toughest was um, Juan Marichal and a pitcher named Larry Jackson. Was Lou Brock, was there like a friendly competition between you two to see who would steal more bases? No, but, but he was, he inspired me to, to get more stolen bases as many as I could too. I, wa- I didn't want, I wanted to lead the league. I didn't want to Lou Brock. I wanted to show him I was better. That's a normal thing. It was it was friendly com- competitiveness. Every time we played the Cardinals, I, I was nobody had to give me a pep talk because Lou Brock was on the other side, and I I, I I wanted to show Lou Brock what a real base dealer was all about, and and that wasn't in a, in a in a mean or vindictive way. It was just in a competitive, friendly, competitive way. Lou Brock and I are great buddies. He did call me and ask me uh, uh, when he was assaulting my record when he broke my record. Of 104 stolen bases in one year when he stole, I think, 109 or 10. He had about six to go, and he called me and said that his legs were hurting him, and they had picked him off a few times, thrown him out once or twice, and he was losing his confidence, and he asked me what he could do. And me being the type of person I am, I'm thinking, Lou Brock's breaking my record. It's mine, and I want to keep him. He's asking me to tell him what he could do. Do further assault the record, and I said, "Lou, why don't you ice your legs now?" That's what I did when I my legs started hurting me. Uh, take off a couple of days. Yeah, Luke Brock's um, he's he's the best along with Rick Anderson. What was your favorite moment in baseball? Uh, favorite moment? Um, well, I had so many. Gosh. Uh, um, it's like when I, I was at Dodger Stadium last night. Uh, the, the people just all over me. They acknowledge me um, as if I played yesterday. Even today, um, I'm going out to. Um, I still work for them, and I'm going out to practice with the pitchers on uh, on sacrifice bunting, which is so important. Um, you see, the Dodgers 
continue to emphasize those little things that win ball games. Things that you don't get a two million dollar race. I mean, a two dollar raise. I mean, two million dollar raise contract. You know, for doing for leading the league and sacrifice funding. Uh, they, you don't get a big two million dollar raise for being the best base runner in the league. But the only thing those things do bunting and base running is win ball games. They don't get you the big contract, so many players don't emphasis on it. Practice it. Dodgers still do. It's Dodger way of playing baseball. It was Al Campanis getting back to Al Campanis. That was the title of his book. What I don't get about base running. I mean, when you're on first base, you can get in the pitcher's head and affect the pitcher's pitching. Nowadays, these base runners they don't steal anymore. They just stand there. If like these St. Louis Cardinals in the '80s would get in the pitcher's head and win by basically getting their head, stealing the bases, and you have the pitcher more worried about the base runner than the batter. Why aren't they doing that nowadays? I don't know. You're absolutely right. The pitcher put so much emphasis on that potential base stealer that he's, before he knows it, he's behind in the count. Now he has to come in there with a fat pitch or something. Now he's I think it probably changed uh, during the era when um, uh, we started seeing all the home runs. So managers figure, heck, you know, I'd rather have that guy keep still and at the base, first base, for instance, and let somebody hit it out of the park and get a two-run home run rather than risk him getting thrown out. So that, that changed the game. But I do believe the game is coming back to base stealing and base running. What I don't get is why you're not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Ozzie Smith's in the Hall of Fame, and you did a lot more than he did. Yeah, I know. Uh, for a long time, uh, I used to agonize over that. I even started drinking over it. But I'm on the other side of that today. I'm, con- I'm contented with that. And as I said, I'm grateful. I guess I, I, I got out of my gratitude, and, and that's when I, I started my spurling. Um, even got into uh, alcoholism over it. I'm happy to say 23 years today. Um, clean, sober, um, living life or life terms, um, helping other young men with their emotional problems, um, here in the Los Angeles area, basically. And, um, why am I not in the, you know, if I go into Hall of Fame, fine. If I don't, I hope they don't do me like they did Ron Sando. Uh, they wait for Ronnie to die, and then they put him in. Yeah. So the Dodgers have a hallway in Los Angeles at the ballpark at Dodger Stadium. All the retired Hall of Fame numbers, unit jerseys, are encased in the nice shrine, and they have one empty one. And that empty one is for Maury Wills. I hope they don't wait for me to die before they put me in. But... Uh, I would like to enjoy it for a year and have my, my children, too, and my fans. But uh, now, why do you have to bring that up? Well, on a happy note, I think the Dodgers are going to go to the World Series this year and get you another ring. Oh, you think so? I think so. Ooh, I love that would be, yeah, I'd like to, well, that would be an accomplishment. Don Mattingly is a fine manager. She was, he had no managerial experience when he came last year did a fantastic job last season, and he's just tremendous right now. He's he's Hall of Fame manager. Let's get right to our next guest after the break, Elliot. He was a Hall of Fame player, 
great coach. He won a championship with the 76ers. You own the Miami Heat. When we come back, we'll have Billy Cunningham at. Stay tuned.